Also, I, I think I just it. I think I just found our, the title of my next podcast. Shokum presents Coder Boner. <laughs> Coder Boner with Shokum. That's better. Coder Boner with Shokum. That's that's my next podcast title. <laughs> I don't. I I don't know what podcast you're going to tie that to, but that is terrible. Coder boner? That is That's awful. Guaranteed. Awfully good. You're listening to the PHP Ugly Podcast, episode 15, recorded Thursday, June 16, 2016. In this episode of PHP Ugly, we talk about the North County SDPHP Meetup, if friending clients and employees is a good idea, Microsoft buys LinkedIn, being green just got a little easier with a GitHub adding your private repos to your public profile, and Pyro CMS V3 built with Laravel. 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 Let's get started. Perfect, Mom. Thanks. <laughs> That's perfect. You did it. So, you guys ready for another PHP Ugly? I yeah. think I am. How's it going, John nice. and Thomas? Good. Not bad. How you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm a little warm. I'm out in Arizona this week, and mm. it is a little on the hot side. It's supposed to get it up to, I think, pleasant. 110 tomorrow. Ugh. Ugh. Good God, what are you going to do? You have air conditioning out there? Oh, man, I, I just I go from air conditioning to air conditioning to air conditioning. I, I try not to hover around outside for too long. I have to say, I, I I've been thinking seriously about establishing a Diego Dev office out here and just get like really good air conditioning and putting the coders inside of it. They'll never want to leave. They'll just want to stay in the air conditioning <laughs> the whole time and code. I think it's a brilliant <laughs> idea. There yeah, I don't go. think I don't think indentured servitude is the way to go for for developers. I think it's okay if there's air conditioning. I think that's the uh, caveat. <laughs> if that's if that's the what they're is, working for. It's not for. indentured. They're choosing to be there because it's air conditioned and it's 110 outside. <laughs> so, oh, how's everybody been doing this week? What 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 what's everybody been working on? Had a big code release uh, last week, so this week's been putting out small fires. Ah, that's always nice when the fires stay small. L- well, luckily we launched the feature in a way where it was in beta, so nobody was actually using it, and we can handpick, I guess, members of the site to to try it out, and you start finding those little issues, and it's all coming together. That's the important thing. Anything new with uh, this release as far as technologies or, I don't know, patterns or anything that you uh, Yeah, actually, uh, it's my first time using Firebase, and I'm really liking it. Uh, I am a fan of the Firebase. What does Firebase do? It's it's really just a, a database, a web-based database that you can connect to, but I use it more for the WebSocket feature. So that I don't have to try and manage that on servers that I'm hosting in-house. You might not know it, Thomas, but we actually use Firebase for our meetups. It's uh, how those feeds get established. Uh, that's actually oh, right, stored right. in Firebase, yeah. It's, and Firebase is really interesting. Um, it's owned by Google now, which 
I'm really hoping Google continues to grow it. I'm concerned that it may fall to the wayside. And well, they did release a new version when Google bought it. So, and there are new ways of interacting with uh, the library. So it seems like there is progress being made. That's good to hear. So I'm the, not using it yet. but Yeah, I, I remember when they were working on Google Reader all the way up until when they killed it. <laughs> you, you will not let that go, will you? No. It's been they, years. Just drop it. <laughs> my favorite Google product, including Google Search, and they killed it. <laughs> so one of the interesting things about Firebase is all the data points are accessible as JSON. So you can you can access um, any level of a data point as and it'll it'll return JSON, which is really nifty. I, I enjoy that aspect of it. And once you start understanding their security model, it's very interesting. Yeah. It took me a while. Uh, I felt I had a an interesting security problem that I needed to solve and finally got around it. Giving multiple people access to a separate endpoint within Firebase. Nice. Well, Eric, part of your part of your trip today, you missed uh, you missed quite the the meetup. I am hearing all sorts of rave reviews about your rave meetup reviews. this week. Um, it was fantastic. Really fantastic. <clears throat> really fantastic. It, yeah. I, so it's the first time I reached out to Eli White saying. Hey, if Jesse uh, submits to PHP World, you really should take his talk. So what was so good about the talk? Yeah, it was a combination of his passion for the, the topic, which is always key, his speaking style, how deep he went into the topic. Uh, he got down into C-level code but made it accessible to a PHP developer. It wasn't like, wow. hey, we need, a, we need to know C. It was he just showed that. So... I came away like, wow, this is fantastic. And he yeah. downplayed himself at the very beginning and saying he didn't, he wasn't comfortable with public speaking. And then he started talking. <laughs> and then, and I'm like, yeah, and then what? nailed it. It was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was a really in depth look into sort of non blocking systems and how non blocking works in other languages and how it works in PHP and the direction things are going. And I, I definitely had a mind blown moment at that meetup, which was pretty, pretty excellent. Mm -hmm. What was your uh, mind blown moment? He was outlining the, the data flow for non-blocking uh, calls. And I looked at it and went, wait a second, that's looks like middleware. Is that PSR seven middleware based on this goes? Oh yeah. Well, middleware is the halfway step to making everything non-blocking. And, and he it, was very clear. It wasn't async versus synchronous. I mean, that's part of it. But it's right. really, it's knowing what blocks and what doesn't and how to get around it. Right. And, and what blocking and waiting actually means, um, mm -hmm. which was very, very interesting. You know, it, we, we actually didn't talk a lot about synchronous functionality and asynchronous functionality. It was just about the how the CPU pegs when you're looping versus when you're waiting mm -hmm. and and it was very very interesting talk um so i'm going to get a lot of show notes from him on that one or uh, uh presentation notes and we're going to put those slides up on the site and stuff it's it was very good sounds like somebody we need to try to get to talk downtown as well i'm sure he would 
Yeah, you gotta, you gotta get him. I'm looking forward to seeing him speak someday. So, Eric, you also missed pregame where we normally go to Pizza Port. Uh, I get there and Tom's like, "We have to leave." I'm like, "What? The internet was out." Ah, <laughs> uh, was it out? Out or was it the IP address? It was out. Out. It was out. Out. Uh, that sucks. Yeah. So we we went across the street to Board and Brew. Wasn't as good, but it was still. We had a great table, had power. It, it turned out to be a good afternoon. Good. Always a good afternoon when you're hanging out with a bunch of uh, San Diego PHP developers. Yeah, yeah and I, I really like that work environment. You know, I'm we're all work from home people, and we spend a lot of time in our home offices alone, working for a while, and getting out there and you know, not even working together on anything, just being together and working. Uh, it really is nice. Uh, we got Carolyn set up with Xdebug. Which um, you said couldn't be done, and, and we got it. I didn't say it couldn't it. be done. I just said it was going to take a long time, and it's terrible. No, it would have been so much faster if I was smart. That oh, Everything, everything that. pretty much works that way. <laughs> so I get everything configured, and I'm sitting there doing Nginx restart. Forgetting that, <laughs> no, you got to do PHP FPM restart. Right. right. That gets me every time, too. Because yeah. I'm still in the Apache world on most of the projects I'm on, and uh, I need to just bite the bullet and get those switched over. Yeah. So, well. interesting segue into one of our topics we wanted to talk about. So, I find myself in a curious position because I'm so passionate about what we do, and I enjoy talking about it and reaching out to people. And I have a lot of interest. I'm a pretty personable guy once you get to know me. People say I'm a little intimidating, but once you kind of kind of approach me, I'm kind of a nice person. And Sometimes. I, I'll, I'll take your word for all that. That's right, you will. <laughs> <laughs> so it started when I got a friend request on Facebook. From a client. And I've had this happen in the past. And I, I never quite knew how to handle it or where to draw the line. And and I've had this issue before with people I've worked with who, again, don't particularly want that level of friendship with where I'm sharing my personal life on social media with them. Um, I handle my social media streams very differently. Uh, the things I post to Twitter and how I word them they are completely different to what I post to Facebook and how I, how I word that. Sure. And so I, I find myself questioning, you know, do you think it's a good idea? And I guess this is just a question to the group. Do you think it's a good idea to friend a client, a colleague, employees, um, business partners? You know, is it a good idea to be friends with them as well. No to the business partners for sure. I hate my business partner. Uh, that's a tough one because I've always been so open and I friend everyone. And it kind of started back when I was doing the, the bowling podcast years ago. And my big thing was I was building a, a personal brand and I wanted, you know, I wanted the, the friends, the circle of people to build off of. Sure. But, but, as I get more into it, I'm agreeing with you, Eric, with the Facebook is more personal to me, but I've already accepted 
friend requests from clients or coworkers. So it becomes very a, a tangled mess at times, I guess I should say. Mm-hmm. Always, always being concerned about, am I sharing too much? Do, should certain people know this part of my life? But isn't isn't that what LinkedIn is for? I mean, when when a client says, "Hey, do you, do you have Facebook?" You say, "Actually, no. Do you, I have LinkedIn though? Do you use LinkedIn?" Yeah, I've I've told you guys before. I don't use Facebook, right? All the time. <laughs> yeah, I use Facebook a ton. <laughs> you guys think I don't use Facebook? Yeah, I, I guess you're right, Thomas. I mean, it's it's just. And maybe if you're if you're upfront about it and you just say, "Hey, listen, I have a personal policy that's for family and close friends." But I mean, it's it's also it's also a matter of I mean, like you said, building your personal brand. How high do you want your profile to be? Right. Yeah. Uh, it, if you're Donald Trump, unfortunately, it has to come up every time he says something. It is news, mm-hmm. and if if you're an active member of the PHP community, then every time you say something doesn't matter what network it's on there's going to be that cross network chatter there's going to be someone who you're less friends with but friends enough with that they're going to see it and then they're going to copy and paste it from that and they're going to say well i don't know about that and you know it it's it's a matter of how public you want your personality to be how how is your personality factor into your brand um yeah, but also, I mean, beyond stretching beyond just your personal brand, there are business decisions that need to be made, and that that's where I struggle. It's like I never want to be influenced by any personal feelings I have for somebody when I need to make a business decision, um, and it's yeah. a hard line to make draw. Yeah, that is that is really difficult, and you know we've. We've all been in on that together. We've had several discussions about our business dealings together and how we don't want that primarily to interfere with our friendship and that we have to make sure that when we're doing stuff together... There's no friendship is... to interfere with. I hate you. <laughs> well, I know. You, Eric, you got, went to Arizona to get away from me. <laughs> Eric will like this one. I, I friended one of our very first clients way back and not thinking anything of it, it was fine for a while, but that relationship went south really quick. I mean, he just wasn't paying his bills and wanted to the point where we're basically working for free for a long time trying to get this this uh, app built for him. And ultimately, we just parted ways. Yeah. yeah so it became very awkward. I think I finally unfriended him. I can't remember now. I should go check that out. <laughs> I used to Facebook friend sweep. I used to do the whole group thing and have different permission levels for all the groups and But that's so that's so messy to maintain. It really is. It's just a pain and trying to It's a good it's a good idea in in theory, just in practice it's not easy. Yeah. You're gonna forget. So so speak you brought up LinkedIn. Uh, did you see this week that Microsoft bought LinkedIn? Yeah, I did for uh, an obnoxious amount of money. What What do you think could possibly be the point of that? They're, they want to integrate with all of their, like, Office 365. Integrate and what? Their, their products. Integrate what? LinkedIn? 
What are you going to integrate? So I, I read an interesting article that you know you're working on a you're working on something, and then they're going to be able to pull from LinkedIn people that may be able to help you with oh, whatever on. you're working on. That's never going. To I work. don't know. I I think working on LinkedIn, uh, any of these these sites that sort of just don't generate income for any good reason. It's it's like investing in stocks. You know, you've got a billion people's email addresses, and you can send email out to them as much as you want to, and they can't they can't stop you. Yeah. That's I mean, I worth like a lot LinkedIn. of money. I, I like it as a service. I, hate I, it. I, I question I, how much value it has. I, I actually have friends who work at LinkedIn. Um, I, I think it's a great service, but I, I've always questioned. But what do you get out of LinkedIn? I mean, well, nothing I, now. Uh, frustration, God. Yeah. Nothing I, now, but I, I've used the, it in the past. Recruiters on LinkedIn have gotten really aggressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. And and I'm I'm seeing this sort of behavior. I want to read you an email I got today from LinkedIn. Okay. I've sent you a few emails and you ha- and haven't seen a response from you. I suspect you're either too busy to read my note or just don't have interest. Let me know either way. I'm a big girl. I can take it. And then in bold, <laughs> so I suspect right now you're asking... Why is she emailing me again? Glad you asked. Like, oh my god, this is just this is spam. This is just spam. Right? Because the link at the bottom is either to a cam show or to a place where they want me to put my resume. And then at the bottom it literally says it gives me a link and it says the link is safe BTW. Like (laughs) what? That that, that works. I got one I got one this week too and he starts off like, wow, your your resume is impressive. I'd really like to talk to you somewhere. I've got somebody in San Diego looking to hire. You know, tells me all about the company. And by the way, do you or do you know somebody in your network that might be interested? I thought you wanted to talk to me. You reached out to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm LinkedIn, not good enough. By the time you got to the end of your email, I wasn't good enough. <laughs> LinkedIn has become a spam house. I absolutely detest it. It's I, I need to go through all of the settings and make myself private and hide everything. And I don't want the constant barrage of people who are really, really interested in me and yet haven't seen my skill set listed. Yeah. yeah, I think that's more of a corporate thing. Um, I, I have people I've worked with in the past who, I mean, they contribute to LinkedIn, they post articles on LinkedIn, they closely follow colleagues. And ex colleagues on LinkedIn. So, that's if, you find, if you find my profile on LinkedIn and you really want to know more about me, go look at my GitHub profile page. GitHub made Maybe. some changes. I'm very happy. Yeah, about actually, this. your GitHub profile page just got better. A Did lot it? better. Yes, a lot better. So I've had this issue before where people say, "Hey, what well, can you give me a link to your GitHub account?" and and so we can take a look at it. I say, well. You know, uh, everything I work on is private, so it's just an, an empty graph of no contributions to anything. <laughs> if you go backwards, you'll find something I contribute open source yeah. a while back, but it's not daily. <laughs> I, I wrote a hello world in Ruby once. I don't know if that does that help at all. Yeah, it's nice um, to see the little green wall building. Uh, it is, and so now the green wall, if you opt in will show activity on private repositories. Right. It's not really opt-in. It's more of a configuration setting. You just have to go change yeah, just, the setting. 
I mean, I well, guess it's a new feature. It's a new feature that's not automatically implemented, so you have to opt in on it. Okay, that's one of those things I always forgot about GitHub is that they didn't show your private uh, contributions because, you know, I go to my profile page, I see that green wall, and then, you know, if I happen to open it in incognito or some other way, it's like, oh yeah. <laughs> if you, if you just happen to be little. surfing GitHub on incognito, you might have a problem. <laughs> now, what I wish they would do, and I don't know if this uh, corrects that problem or not. Um, but what I wish they would do is when you're removed from a group or you leave a company that your contributions to that group or that company continues to show up in your profile or in your green wall. I mean, I've had that happen before where I have left a company I worked for for a year or two and all of a sudden my wall is blank again because all those contributions have gone away. So it'd be nice to see, and I, I don't know if this corrects that problem or not, um, but it'd be nice to see that if somebody moves on and they're removed from a certain organization, that their contributions to that organization is still reflected on their little... Oh, don't worry. We'll find out with you tomorrow. Tomorrow? Yeah. Is it tomorrow? Yeah. Oh, tomorrow is Friday, huh? Yeah. yeah. Well, no, we'll be removing you from all of our private repos. You guys are horrible people. You guys didn't so, ask me what I've been doing this week. I, I've actually been working on something fun and new and, and, and different. And we, we made no secret about this. We're all back-end developers. And I think of, all, of the three of us, John is probably the, the more of a uh, front-end guy than any of us. And that's not even saying a whole lot. But hey. I, I've been looking... And I've always struggled with front-end design. Just right off the bat, front-end design has been an issue. But the one oh, yeah. piece that I've struggled with on the front-end that's frustrated me the most was JavaScript. Uh, I've, I write, I've written applications in a lot of languages. I've done Rails. I've done Python, obviously, PHP. And I struggle a lot getting my head around JavaScript for some reason. And it's frustrating because... Once I kind of get into it and I start to get into the flow a little bit, you know, I understand it, it seems easy enough to grasp, but I, I have trouble retaining my knowledge with JavaScript. And over the years, I've tried to get into a lot of JavaScript frameworks. And the problem with JavaScript frameworks is they come and go with the sun. I mean, they just don't stick around. Of recent years, a few have really started to have some uh, staying power Angular, for example. Um, but, you know, they just don't stick around enough. And I actually spent time this week with Vue.js. Uh, if you're in the Laravel community, Vue is obviously a big uh, JavaScript framework that they, they use heavily. Matter of fact, uh, Taylor uses it uh, in his Spark product. Uh, Jeffrey Way has several videos on Vue.js, which I've watched several times this past week. And Vue is starting to sink in. I, I got to be honest, I've been doing some development with Vue.js this week. I'm trying to come up with this single page application using Vue, and I'm getting a little bit of a coder boner doing it. I mean, I'm like, I'm enjoying it. It's, it's like starting to resonate with me as far as coding and making sense. I'm struggling a little bit with some of the patterns and understanding how to implement things, but I think, uh, I think, uh, Vue might finally be the JavaScript framework that does it for me and allows me to get into that more. So what is it that Vue is doing that is so, I don't know, revolutionary? 
you know, I don't know if it's revolutionary because, like I said, I, you know, other frameworks kind of do similar things. It's just the way Vue is implementing it really makes it simple. My my concern, I think, right now is before getting too vested in Vue, is that maybe it's too simplistic. Like it seems really simplistic as you start to implement um, your little functions with Vue. It's like, wow, that that was way easy. Like, I, I'm worried that maybe that there's some limitations with you that I'm just not knowledgeable enough on right now, because it seems like if it was this easy, it would have had, it, it should have a lot more traction in the JavaScript community. And it, I don't really see that so much as I see it as a lot of uh, new people coming into JavaScript, taking it up and enjoying it like myself. But I, I don't know. I, I can't explain to you why it, it's it's stuck with me so well. Um, it just just has. I mean, it's how you think something should be done. It's that's how it's done typically with uh, Vue. I mean, it's got these. It's very modular. It's got these uh, com- you know this idea of components, and you know you, you do the you can do these this templating in it and. I don't know. It just works. It's working for me right now. I, I, now I'm still struggling getting, like, getting all the pieces together. I'm at a very dangerous point where I've gotten enough knowledge to know that the way I'm seeing how things are done are not the best ways to do them. And so I'm starting to dive more into the APIs and into the framework. And I'm starting to get a little lost because I think I'm going too deep down the rabbit hole on, on some of the functionality of view. And I, I, I spent the last day or so kind of pulling myself back out and saying, okay, let's take the, let's take the simple approach to this again. But I don't know. I like it. I, I would like to see somebody like John really get into view. And cause I know John, I know you're, you know, into just straight up JavaScript and Angular and you've got a good understanding of all those uh, platforms. I'd like to see you get into view and get your opinion of that. The little bit that I have used view, it's very angular ish. Um, well, yeah, it, it has models and collections and templates and front end stuff that something like jQuery doesn't really handle specifically. It has, you know, templates for modals and the bindings uh, and all that. Yeah. Bindings are huge. And, yeah. You know, it's, it's nice stuff because like the templates thing specifically, I really like because I have a lot of experience where, you know, you have a page that has 20 modals on it. You need to have all 20 of these modals rendered and then hidden with CSS and then you pull them up, you know, programmatically one way or another. And it's, it, I don't, I don't like having everything pre-rendered and then hidden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if it, if it changes based on other actions that have happened. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to kind of, I'm, I'm going to force myself to stay, stick, at least spend a day a week on view moving for, moving forward until I really have an appreciation or understanding of it or until I've moved on to another JavaScript framework. I'm not going to give up on this JavaScript framework this time. I'm going to stay with it unless I move on to another one. That's, that's my, uh, I'm, I'm making that statement here today. Also, I, I think I just, it. I think I just found our, the title of my next podcast. Showcom presents Coder Boner. <laughs> Coder Boner with Shokum. That's better. Coder Boner with Shokum. That's that's my next podcast title. <laughs> I don't 
I I don't know what podcast you're going to tie that to, but that is terrible. <laughs> Coder boner? That is. That's awful. Guaranteed. Awfully good. <laughs> so, I, I think one of the reasons that you've gotten into view is it's tied in with Laravel so tightly on you know Laracasts, and I know Taylor is a huge fan of view. That's correct. Um, yep. And so we've there's been a sort of weak attempt at a CMS with Laravel in the past with uh, October CMS, which we've used. Yeah, we've we've tried to well we we currently use October CMS for Laravel San Diego Laravel user group. There's a couple of other CMSs out there uh, I've looked into that have been built on or around Laravel. Um, and is October the one that? Makes everything just a static site. No, that's your thinking. Yeah, of, kind of. No, it's not static. It no, does he, a lot he's, of. He's thinking static of the, the generator. What, what's the generator that they came out with? That was with blade templating. We talked about it not too long ago. It's not. It's uh, not. It's not a generator. Katana. Yeah, Katana. No, it yeah. was it Katana. Or was it was Katana mats? There was two out there. Yeah, it's something something knife related. Yeah, katana was one of them. I think I think that might have been Matt's. Um, well, there's there's some big news in the CMS community. Uh, yeah, the Pyro CMS version two, the last real big update, was in 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a surprise announcement that Pyro CMS v3 is a complete rebuild uh, on top of Laravel. Right. So so version two. Well, version one and version two were code, code igniter, and now Pyro CMS version three is built on Laravel. So that's cool because Pyro CMS has got a name behind it. I mean, it's it's a legit CMS. It's been around for a while. People have been using it, so it's. I'm happy to see that they went the route of Laravel with uh, version three. Uh, I need to spend some time to play with it, and um, I I read I read somewhere that there was going to be a cost associated with it, but uh, I, th- I think the article on Laravel News mentioned that there was going to be a cost associated with it, but no pricing has been announced yet. Are you right? They there is a licensing scheme. Uh, it's currently closed, so they're not licensing anyone new. But uh, I think it will open in the future. Interesting. So this so. this kind of follows that whole Spark precedent. Uh, you're seeing seeing fewer and fewer things like you know these open source projects, which Spark is sort of open source. I mean, you can contribute to it and all that, but there's still these fees for licensing behind it. <laughs> so is there, is there no free licensing tier for Pyro CMS that you're aware of? Um, right now it's just download free and install. There's no real information on how to give money to the developers. Mm. So I will see in the future. Yeah. We'll uh, see. We'll see, see what happens. The, the pricing blurb from them is, uh, the presale is officially closed. And on that note, I am extending the offer to include one license for everything I build for pyro ever. Your patience has been truly appreciated. So I don't even know exactly what that means. Yeah. What huh, does that interesting. mean? Yeah. yeah. So. so definitely a project to keep an eye on, see what uh what comes of it. But I, I'm happy 
uh, Pyro is using Laravel. I think it says a lot. Um, I mean, they can only continue to contribute to the Laravel uh, code base and make that even a better framework. And, and I, I, Laravel, I think I ahead. think CMSs are one of the sort of unsung heroes of the PHP community. I think so many people in PHP started working on a CMS and have moved from basic CMS work to full PHP development. Um, you know, I know people who are WordPress developers that don't know PHP. They just know mm-hmm. what they believe WordPress is. Um, and I found out recently that a lot of Drupal developers were unaware that Drupal runs in PHP. Um, <laughs> That's which, scary. you know, yeah, scared, surprised and scared me. But, uh, yeah, I think the CMSs, strong CMSs, are one of PHP's greatest strengths, and uh, it's really good to see CMSs moving forward using things that are composer-friendly, uh, you know, solid development-type things. Yep. Back on the Laravel kick, not that it's a huge deal, but Laravel officially turned five, I guess, five oh, years yes. ago. Lar- uh, five, Laravel. Five years ago, Taylor... Uh, announced and released his first version of Laravel, so that's kind of cool. I mean, it's funny to see how much, how far it's come in such really a short amount of time. Five years is not that long ago. When you you talked about WordPress, you talked about Drupal, Pyro. I mean, you, you look at some of these, and even some of these other frameworks that have been established and around for a much longer time. Five years is nothing in this. In this world, be curious. Be curious if yeah. that was his first release, or if that's when he started working on it. I believe like, it was his, it, believe it, that was the release. Yeah, I believe that was his release. Um, how old is your How old is your unborn child before release? That's a good point. You win. <laughs> you know, I'm just saying. Yeah. yeah uh, and you know, it's funny is that so much of the activity with Laravel has been in the last two years. Um, going from three to four to five and really becoming a dominant framework in the PHP community. Yeah. Yep. So I thought that was interesting to take note of. So there's, there has been a lot of news lately about something and it it sort of struck me as interesting. Um, A lot of news about password breaches. Happen all the time. Happens all the time. And it's one of those things that we're, you know, we're never going to be able to stop. We can't stop bad things from happening. We can mitigate, but we can't halt. Right. Uh, and, and my question, though, was who's taking accountability for these these breaches? I mean, oh, you've geez. got... You've never worked in the enterprise, have you? Well, I have. Oh, my God. And you don't want to take accountability, but right. at a certain point, you have to say, yeah. Oh, but it, I, I can it tell is an you, art form pushing blame of these particular topics in the enterprise. I, I mean, it's, well, it's I, straight up. I can form. tell you though, when when something's when a password is getting stored in clear text, and someone realizes that that's an issue, who's who's at fault? Is this the the developer who didn't push it hard enough, or the manager who didn't understand the implications, or CTO, or you know? There's a lot of blame to pass around, but when somebody leaves a company because they have taken the blame for a password breach, 
that doesn't follow them. You know what I mean? There's no certification process for security in PHP. So to say, if you have a developer who's just never experienced storing passwords properly hashed, and they get fired for not doing it, are they going to get hired at another company and do it again? And I, I think that would be a really weak reason to fire a developer. I mean, it's yeah, it's a level of incompetence. Sure, it is. But is it a fireable offense? Probably not. If, if you have the infrastructure to fire somebody over that, then you have the inf- infrastructure to notice it before it happens. Exactly. And so if that, you're going to fire one person, fire a bunch of them. I, I've always had a pretty simple policy with this sort of thing. I don't care whose fault it is. I want to know who's fixing it and how we're present, how we're preventing it from happening again. So exactly. mistakes are going to happen. They're just going to happen. And they're going to be boneheaded mistakes. And they're going to be mistakes that weren't mistakes when they were developed. They weren't mistakes when they were pushed. But, they were mis- but they're mistakes two years later when that code is still sitting out there. And you, know, you realize, oh, yeah, you shouldn't be putting what the CAPTCHA says as a hidden field in the form. It's like, yeah, well, the guy who did that five years ago, you know, that was a common practice, but now it's not. So it's like, yeah, you know, these mistakes happen. The, 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 the sign of a good manager, the sign of a good developer is this is how I'm fixing it, and this is how I'm pre- preventing it moving forward. We're writing tests, we're, we're implementing monitoring, we're, we're adopting uh, best practices, we're adopting this design pattern. Mistakes are just going to happen. You shouldn't be fired. Over so them. it really does fall on the CTO at that point then. I mean, if if the if procedures it, that existed were being followed, then the procedures that existed were not good enough. So the it CTO depends on is, is responsible. Who, who are you asking as far as trying to place the blame? The company themselves or you going beyond that where now it's been made public that you've been breached? Are you talking about from the outside? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, who's our CTO? Because I made a small mistake. <laughs> <laughs> it's only 50 million users. I mean, it really depends on, on from which vantage point you're talking about. From within a company, and you you realize you've been breached, and you have to tell people about it, and you want heads to roll so that you feel better about yourself. Well, and so the customers will feel better about you. I mean, yeah. Sony lost uncountable hundreds of millions of dollars in an attack that happened in, in 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that permanently damaged their reputation and brought their network down for, uh, I believe, a couple months. So, I mean, someone's head has to roll. Yeah. In that instance, uh, I guess it has to go to the CTO, but... That, that's so hard because in a huge company like Sony, the CTO is not looking at every line of code. There's, you know, it's how can they be held responsible for for that level of detail? True. I mean, there there would have to be an audit of some kind of, to follow really where where blame lies. Yeah. I just I, I'm so the reason I bring it up is because I so frequently see a, a password leak. Passwords are in clear text. All the usernames are there, and it's like, who who has two hundred and fifty thousand users that does this? No, it's it's more fun when you find a database, which we've had one of our clients. We've since fixed it, but 
they have an encrypted password field and a clear text password field. (laughs) In case they forget what the encrypted password was, it's there in clear text as well. I saw that. I'm like, no, we're fixing that before we really get into this project. (laughs) It was so bad. I just, I don't even know what to make. There's just not a simple. There's just not a simple answer to it. I mean, it's not that. Oh, it's always this person's fault. It's always the person who coded its fault. It's just not that. It's not that easy. And and this is actually. I really wish people would appreciate. Um, when you go and you hire a developer and you're paying that developer hourly, and all they want to do is get the job done. They're going to cut corners, and, and those are exactly the sort of corners they will cut. And if you don't take ownership of that code and you're not doing the review, re- reviewing that person's code, or you don't have the knowledge to do it, you just went with the cheapest contractor you could find who could get, get it done the quickest, whose fault is that? You know, It's not the developer's fault because he's a cheap coder who wants to get it done quickly. You knew that hiring him. You know, is it your fault? Even though you don't know how to code, you don't know what you're looking at? It's, it's just, you can't win that. You can't win that argument. I blame the hackers. <laughs> there you go. Somebody's I, I blame the criminals, right? The criminals are always at fault. I mean, if it weren't for criminals, we wouldn't need to lock our doors. We wouldn't need to lock our windows. We wouldn't need locks. Exactly. But there are criminals out there and we do. And they're the reasons why we need to do it. So if, if all passwords have to be encrypted, only criminals will have clear text passwords. What? (laughs) I don't know. It's an allegory. All right, John, you had you you had the lead in. Take us out of here. You've been listening to PHP Ugly. I'm John Congdon. I'm Eric Van Johnson. I'm Tom Rideout. I'm Becky Rideout. Hi, Becky. Hi, Becky. Thank you for listening to the PHP Ugly podcast. PHP Ugly can be found on Twitter at PHP Ugly. You can also follow the host. Tom Rideout on Twitter at Real Rideout, John Congdon on Twitter at John Congdon, and myself, Eric Van Johnson, on Twitter at Shokum. That's spelled S-H-O-C-M. Notes and links from this episode can be found on GitHub at github.com forward slash phpugly forward slash podcast.